to the Highly Strange Podcast. You are here with Sarah and Lewis. Hello. This week we have part two. Part two. Are you good? We've, you got all your rememberings from part one? Yeah, you're going to give us a bit of a refresher. Well, so we have left the Moffat family in their new home. Yeah. So they have moved. They have sold off some of their other homes that they acquired. And we've got... We've got a lot of intense. We've got messages written on the mirror and soap. Yep. We've got objects being flown thrown through the air. Yep. And we've got everybody all in one bedroom now to try and, and keep safe. The entity is calling himself Prince. Yes. Or the demon formerly known as. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a nice little audio clip from Debbie herself. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to start the episode with playing this out to you guys. Hopefully it will work. When the paranormal things started happening to, uh, to myself and to my family, your first, your first inclination is to try to find a rational explanation for them. But there were no rational explanations for them. And they became, they grew. They started out as being meaningless and not harmful. And they grew into a, to a point that my mother-in-law and my husband lived in constant fear. Mr. Entity was with us for over six years. And during that time, my mother-in-law spent most of her time living in our bedroom. All of us lived together in one bedroom when this was going on. Uh, it was a time that I can't I can't express because at that time I wasn't as frightened as my mother-in-law and my husband were. I was frightened for them, but not for myself. So I can't. When I explain what went on at that time, it's hard for me to explain the terror that it really that really existed because. They were petrified, and they lived for over six years with this before it finally left. So that was Debbie Moffat. So it's interesting to hear it from her own words. It is, isn't it? And they're co- she's calling it Mr. Entity. Yes, we will, we will get to that okay. and why she names it in part two. But yes, that is what it, he will go on to be known as. So are you ready to just dive straight in? I'm still wearing shorts. I'm still sweating. It's still very warm. It's still very warm. Spoilers, we're recording this on the same day. Oh, don't give away the magic. <laughs> Sorry, a bit of behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Near the end of 1988, we made contact with a paranormal researcher named Gary Kent. 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 Wee. Gary Kent. Don't sound <laughs> like it's not a very American name. It's not, is it? No. Although... Isn't Superman like Clark Kent? Clark Kent. Yes, don't maybe. I don't. It's, it's the Gary part. I don't really associate yeah. Garys with Americans, <laughs> but I suppose you do get American Garys. Yeah, why not? Let us know if you're an American Gary. We'd love to hear from We'd you. We'd love to hear from American <laughs> Gary. He recognised our case as an opportunity to break new ground in the field of parapsychology and offered to stay at our home to document the entity's activity. It was an intriguing proposition We felt isolated in our plight and the idea of someone else, someone outside of our family observing the phenomena plaguing us seemed beneficial as though it would validate our experiences. We accepted Gary's offer. During his first night with us, Gary strode into the family room and bellowed, show me what you can do. The second floor had an open balcony that overlooked the family room. From its shadows above, a book flew down and nicked the side of Gary's head. That's what he can do. That's what he can do. From that moment on, the entity made Gary its prime victim. Onto him, it redirected many of the torments it normally reserved for Lee, shredding his clothing, destroying his most cherished belongings and filling the mirrors with insults, threats and embarrassing personal information. 
We'd find his mail partially burnt in our mailbox, bizarre arrangements of knives laid out on his bed in the guest room, and the room itself thrown into total disarray on a daily basis. In the rare event that Gary thought there might have been a moment to relax, the entity would be ready to strike directly at the man himself. Once, while Gary sat at the kitchen table, we heard a snipping sound. Clumps of hair began falling from Gary's head. He jumped up and ran into the backyard to escape, leaving a scattered trail of hair. We're about to meet some of our favourite people. Oh, who are they? I learned about Ed and Lorraine Warren in their book, The Demonologist. Their reputation and experiences inspired confidence in me like no one had yet. If anyone could help us, I was certain it was them. I contacted the Warrens to discuss our predicament. It so happened that they intended to travel to Los Angeles on a business matter in the very near future and that they were ready to lend us their support. Ed and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine. You haven't, we've briefly skirted around Ed and Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I feel like obviously in hindsight, like when you look back on it now, they a lot of their stuff seemed kind of money grabbing. Mm. However, I can totally understand why they brought comfort to people. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think when you think of like um, kind of ghost hunters, paranormal researchers, what comes to your mind is kind of, you know, someone not quite all there, Mm. you know, quite just out there in their ways. You expect someone flamboyant and, you know, those kind of things. And I think what Ed and Lorraine Warren had was was a calmness to them. Yeah. You know, they would come in your home and tell you some of the most bizarre things possible, but especially Lorraine would do it in such a calm manner. Yeah. And, you know, did have like a really wholesome grandmother feel to her. Yeah. So I can completely understand why they brought... Yeah, so whether, whether they did it for their own monetary gain, it doesn't really matter in yeah. many cases. I also think, and we might need to fact check this, but I believe that Ed Warren was actually given permission by the Catholic Church to give out exorcisms. Yeah. So he was, you know, in times of like when religion was really prominent and especially to this family it was quite prominent, Um, you know, you got signed off by the Catholic Church. That's That's a big thing. Yeah. So... Let's see what they did for this family. During their investigation, Lorraine explored our house, trying to detect any psychic impressions generated by the entity. Her findings were dire. There is a presence in this house, she said. It is a demon. It is one of the oldest and most powerful beings I've ever encountered. It is ancient. Ancient and evil. During the second day of their investigation, the Warrens determined that the right of provocation was necessary in uncovering the entity's identity. Through this ceremony, they would force the entity to reveal itself. Words I'd heard before from Red Wing and Fire Panther months ago. I had forgotten the face I saw take shape in the attic, but what would come of the Warrens' efforts? The Warrens conducted the rite of provocation the following evening. They selected our living room for the purpose. We seated ourselves in a U-shape. Ed orated a series of opening prayers. As he spoke, a heaviness seeped in the room and settled over us. During the rite, Bill Sr. suddenly slumped forward. He then rose to his feet, changing as he stood up. One of his arms curled towards his body like a shriveled lamb, and his spine curved into a low hunch. He hobbled towards Ed, dragging a leg. A low growl, more animal than man, rumbled in his throat. As Bill Sr. approached, Ed's hand flew up. Pinched between his fingers was a small glass vial containing a shard of wood. 
He thrust it into Bill Senior's face and shouted, This relic is a piece of the Holy Cross and it protects me. You cannot harm me. Bill Senior paused and sneered wolfishly, baring his teeth. His voice was hardly his own. I'll bite your hand off, chew that wood chip up and spit it in your face. Oh. It's not very polite. How did Ed Warren get a piece of the um, cross? I'm not sure. That's like, quite a... Connections with the Catholics. That's you know. quite a relic to have. It is, yeah. When I first was reading it, I thought it was going to be a vial of holy water. Yeah. Is what I expected, but no. Oh, my loving a bit of that. <laughs> with neither men surrendering any ground, Bill Senior turned his sights on Lorraine, seizing her in a glare. She stared back defiantly, deflecting him. He hobbled away and collapsed on the couch where he had been sitting. He sagged into himself, then rose into a proper sit. He blinked and glanced around as though he was waiting for something to happen. The Warrens believed that the entity directly influenced Bill Senior's actions. Though he seemed well after the ceremony, this incident was cause for concern. The Warrens didn't personally have the power to impel the entity to vacate, but they made arrangements through St Mary of the Angels Church in Los Angeles for an exorcism. It never came to fruition. After the Warrens' investigation, Gary made new living arrangements elsewhere and departed our home. Lee was once again the sole recipient of the entity's physical aggression. One day, she made the mistake of venturing into the pantry on her own. Bill Jr. and I were in the family room when we heard a frantic pounding on the pantry door. The door was jammed and Bill Jr. had to wrench it open. We discovered Lee, prone on the ground and in the dark. We helped her to sit and it was then we saw evidence of an attack. Deep red marks lined her neck. Trembling, she managed to tell us that the entity attempted to strangle her. She thought it was going to kill her. The direct physical assault pushed me to the brink. Lee had suffered more than anyone. My mother-in-law was a wonderful woman, a dutiful woman and a doting mother. She didn't deserve this. Who did? I charged into the bathroom. The mirror was blank. I positioned myself in front of the sink and focused. Anger didn't cloud my mind, but sharpened it. I realised that to confront the entity, I had to bring it to my level. Still, I don't know where I found the courage to speak the way I did. This is the way it's going to be. I will treat you with respect and you will treat me with respect. I will accept nothing less, I said, staring into the mirror. You are not to touch my child, you are not to touch my husband, and you are not to touch Lee. I stepped out of the bathroom to give the entity a moment to reply. There was a message on the mirror. I will not touch the child, I will not touch your husband. Lee belongs to me. I asked the entity to explain. The exchange that followed extended well over an hour. The entity wrote out a story from a past era, a tale of dark intrigues of a French monastery in the 1600s. How big is their mirror? <laughs> I'm guessing quite big. A cabal of heretical monks once served the entity in secrecy. To honour the pact that they had entered into, they were to perform a blood ritual. They had captured a nun for the purpose of sacrifice, but a betrayal from within their order prevented the ritual from being consummated. In a past life, Lee was that nun, promised but not given. It had returned for her in this life, and it would collect its dues. I'm not going to let that happen, I said, then stalled, needing a term of address for the entity. I had forgotten that it had told us its name, Prince, but I wasn't able to grant the entity the dignity of power of a royal rank. I need something else to call the entity by. The entity. And then it came to me, Mr. Entity. Original. It was a small addition of a respectful title to a familiar, familiar moniker, a good compromise and one that clarified my stance. 
I had no realistic way of verifying Mr. Entity's story about the monastery, but it changed nothing. All that mattered was the entity was going to persist in persecuting Lee, and I was going to do everything I could to keep her safe. As it would turn out, granting Mr. Entity his new title marked the beginning of a significant shift in my relationship with him. Based on his willingness to offer some sort of insight into his motives, it seemed that the entity was surprisingly open to conversation. To clarify, communication with the entity was usually followed by a specific procedure. Writing never appeared directly in front of us. We could turn our heads and in the course of seconds a message could appear. And often did on glass surfaces throughout the house, but the entity had a certain fondness for mirrors. Most of the communication occurred in the downstairs bathroom. I could ask a question, step outside, and moments later Mr Entity's response would be scribed in soap across the mirror. Initially, I started conversing with Mr. Entity on the off chance I may learn something to help identify just who or what he was. Our first exchanges were little more than a series of questions and answers. One question always went ignored. What are you? Even though Mr. Entity had revealed his supposed history of Lee, any probing into his true nature went ignored. It was clear I wasn't going to find any information to use against Mr. Entity, but conversation soon became a goal in and of itself. I'd caught on to a specific benefit to our communications. When Mr Entity invested his energy into writing on the mirror, he was less active elsewhere in the house. This translated to fewer home repairs and attacks on Lee's, which in turn meant the day would be less tedious and miserable for everyone. One morning, I found these words on the bathroom mirror. Lee will die in ten days. We had seen hundreds of death threats against Lee, but nothing so decisive. Each day, this timer trickled down. The prediction had to be one of Mr Entity's scare tactics. I thought, it had to be, because Lee was healthy and he couldn't kill her, otherwise she'd be long dead, or so I believed. On the final day of the countdown, Lee woke up exceptionally early, suffering from sudden breathlessness and chest pain. She was admitted to hospital, where she was diagnosed with developed pneumonia and congestive heart failure. In the ICU, Lee deteriorated further as her heart weakened. After three weeks of intense treatment, she rebounded somewhat and was transferred to a private room. She was still very ill and drifted in and out of consciousness. Bill Senior was largely indifferent to his wife's condition, but nevertheless, he and I alternated hospital visitations whilst Lee recovered. During this time, we hardly felt the entity's presence at home. He felt obliged to give us little reminders. The occasional knick-knack or picture would be turned around, but I only had to clean the mirror once or twice each day. Eventually, against all odds, Lee recovered little by little, and soon was well enough to come home. I didn't realise how miraculous Lee's survival was until she confided in me one night. The entity came for me while I was in hospital, she whispered, when we were alone in the family room. Every time she was awake, she'd see a black stain on the ceiling in her hospital room. It moved closer and closer, travelling across the ceiling, seeping down the wall, then finally sliding into place on the ground beside Lee's bed. From the stain rose a pillar of shadow. It loomed over Lee and extended a thin, dark limb moving towards her. In the shrieking space between Lee and the shadow, the air shimmered, a mist gathered, rapidly gaining colour and distinction, condensing into the form of an old woman. She glanced back, regarding Lee with affection. Lee saw that the old woman was her mother, Dominica. The shadow receded into the ground and then into nothingness. Mama was there. She stood in front of me and wouldn't let the entity near me. I would have died in that room without her. I know it, Lee said. Was it real? 
Were Lee's experiences the imaginings of a delirious, fear-stricken mind or an act of intervention from the other side? I couldn't honestly say. After living in the shadow of Mr Entity for three harrowing years, I was inclined to believe her. Lee's recuperation was going to be a lengthy process. She required supplemental oxygen while she healed. Mr Entity took advantage of her weakened state to launch devastating new attacks against her. She'd often wake up in the middle of the night gasping because her oxygen cord had been severed. Seeing her through to recovery demanded extreme vigilance on all of our parts. I rarely separated from Lee during our years under the entity, but it was while she was recovering that I was most reluctant to leave her side. Sometimes it simply couldn't be avoided. One evening I asked Bill Senior to stay with Lee in the family room until I returned. I was speaking to Bill Junior in the master bedroom when Lee burst through the doors and collapsed to her knees. She heaved breath upon breath and I panicked that she was on the verge of a heart attack. She managed to calm down and tell us what had happened. After I left the family room, Bill Senior promptly found some excuse to go out to the garage. He assured Lee he'd only be gone for a minute or so. Too exhausted to worry about being alone, she reclined on the couch and waited. Her gaze wandered to the ceiling and then to the second floor balcony above her. She noticed a shadow hanging over the guard rail and thought it might have been Bill or myself. The shadow stretched over the railing and came to float directly over Lee. Hovering in mid-air was a dark mass of smoky fog and snake-like tendrils. It ascended upon her, rotating to reveal a horrid face, an impossibly huge, gaping mouth and two eyes like lightless pits. A spur of terror gave Lee the strength to leap from the couch and run. The dark mass pursued her, reaching out with its tendrils, chasing her all the way to the master bedroom. A sudden spark of anger ignited in me, anger at the entity and at Bill Senior, at the way he had to live. I immediately went to the bathroom and told the entity that it was not to show itself to Lee ever again, but what made me think the entity would listen? Seconds later, the mirror held a hastily scrawled message, You get in my way. Stop protecting Lee. One night, sometime later, Bill Senior awoke in bed with a start. Something cold had grazed his leg. He threw off the blanket and withdrew a long metal object. In near darkness, it resembled a dagger, but with a long hilt. When I examined it under light, I saw that the hilt was actually barbed and hollow. We didn't know where it came from, but we knew who brought it. Straight away, I headed for the bathroom. I wanted to know the entity's reasons for bringing this strange weapon into our home. When I entered the room, I froze. Both of the bathroom mirrors were filled with writing. On the right mirror was a dark demand. There must be a blood ritual. Take the spear, stab it into Lee's heart. Just so you know, I've also got a picture of the spear. Oh, okay. So I will post that with, along with this. The left mirror contained instructions to perform the ritual. Incantations, the handling of the blood, it was all laid out in detail. The weapon I was holding was the spearhead. This was the weapon of sacrifice. This means by which Lee's blood would be shed, but in my hand, it would never be used. No, Mr Entity, there will not be a blood ritual in this house. I said, raising the weapon to the mirror. I'm keeping this spearhead. It's mine now and you are not taking it back. No sooner did the last word leave my lips that a tremendous force slammed into the house. The walls shuddered and groaned. I raced to the master bedroom. Everyone was all right but shaken. It sounded like a bomb went off upstairs, Bill Senior said. He hurried to the second floor. Every window pane upstairs had been blown out with such force that even the drape rods had been nearly torn from the walls. After this show of wrath, I didn't count on getting any answers about the spearhead from Mr Entity. At some point, we took the weapon to the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. 
sorry, a pair of experts identified it as a ritualistic tool from the Belgian Congo intended for magical ceremonies and various rites. They asked us how we acquired it as the spearhead appeared brand new. We simply told them they wouldn't believe us and left it at that. Around the summer of 1989, our search, our search at last led us to an individual who, like the Warrens, exuded both knowledge and competence. So did the Warrens, have they already left They're now? Gone, yeah. oh, okay, they just sort of dull was happening yeah. somewhere, so I thought, no, we'd just leave them to it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, sounds about right. Dr. Evelyn Paglini introduced herself to us as a doctor of parapsychology and a practitioner of mag... I was going to say magnets. <laughs> as a doctor of parapsychology and a practitioner of magic. She had been originally based in Chicago, where she'd had it out with rival occultists, or in her vague terms, had fought a battle of magic over an unspecified cause. I'd love to see that. It's like Not the, the Harry Potter. Not the magic we've had. We had it in the vampire case. Oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. They were both lunatics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> over an unspecified cause. She had emerged victorious, but chose to relocate to California. To this day, I can't remember how or where we had learned of her, but Dr. Pagli and I was unlike anyone else who braved the demon's den. After inspecting our home in person, she later called us to enact her plan of attack. Over the phone, she conveyed specific phrases and symbols that, would be, that were to be transcribed on the mirror on her behalf. Every line or shape we wrote, Mr Entity would cross it out and place one of his own. The Entity wrote against Dr Pagnini with uncharacteristic vengeance. Normally his aggression was reserved for Lee, while experts who came into our house were mocked and dismissed. The entity poured insults over the mirror, but one message stood apart. Fuck you, you lie to my family. Oh. He's getting, he's had enough now, hasn't he? He's dropping F-bombs. Yeah. And who's his family? Well, I'm not sure at this point. Mm. We had no idea what the entity meant or why it would call us its family. Many years later, we learnt that Dr. Paglin and I was actually a founding member of the Satanic Church of Nephilim, right in Chicago. So I did look that up and yeah. like clarify. She is listed as one of the founding members. Oh, well. So obviously not the founding member of the Satanic Church. No. But that branch of it. By proxy, Dr. Pagli and I waged this remote battle of written warfare for a month. She and the entity were at stalemate. The next phase of her plan demanded her physical attendance at our, at our home. In preparation on her arrival, she instructed us to clear out Lee and Bill Sr.'s former bedroom upstairs. She didn't form us of inform us of her intentions until she arrived at our house one by one she had us enter the upstairs bedroom which was only lit by candlelight we were to stand in the center of the room while she ran her hands over us dr pagli and i explained this was done to read our energy now there's two there's a satanic temple and a satanic satanic church mm. what one's like more metal is it the temple one that's more yeah, metal so. yeah the church is more just like, if you're going to believe in angels, then you should also believe in demons. Yeah, but the temple is the one that's like, you know, like rock and roll. Yeah, I They think do so. the wild stuff and erect the statues everywhere and hail Satan and all that gear. Once everyone had been subjected to this inscrutable task, the procedure was concluded and Dr. Pagli and I departed. She said she needed time to analyse our results. She called us a few days later with a grim revelation. Someone within your family is keeping the entity there, she said. Someone is giving it permission to stay. And while it has that permission, it cannot be expelled. It's Bill Senior. To expose who among us was abiding the entity, Dr. Pagli and I performed a second remote ritual that night. 
Hours after we had retired to the master bedroom, Bill Senior suffered a strange episode that began with a nagging cough and ended with a convulsion-like fit. After it passed, Bill Senior suddenly came to. He was fine, but oblivious to what had just happened to him. During her final meeting with us in the summer of 1989, Dr Pagnani stated her findings. She said there was no question that the entity was a demon, but to the full confidence of her knowledge, she believed this demon was one of the seven princes of hell, and it could not be removed because Bill Senior was keeping it tethered to us. <gasps> I was right. You were. Unless that changed, Dr Pagnani advised a different approach. She told us to keep the upstairs bedroom empty and dedicate it to the demon. A being of this power could make our lives wonderful if we paid homage, and as far as Dr Pagnani was concerned, it was the only way we could save Lee. Lee was the first to voice her refusal. Affronted by the mere suggestion, Dr Pagnani could do no more than wish us good luck. She departed, leaving us in a state of complete conflict, and yet she had granted us a strange clarity. It was difficult to argue the reality of things. No matter who came into our house to oppose the entity, they all failed. Superficially, Dr Pagnani's explanation seemed to fit. But why would Bill Senior have wanted the entity? He may not have been overly concerned with Lee, but repairing the daily damages was expensive, to say the least, and money was his chief concern. Well, Mr Entity can give them a, a great life if they just accept him. Yeah, he just needs to start paying rent, really, doesn't he? Yeah. If they've given him a bedroom... Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Pay his way. Yeah. Give him some of that dark Satan magic. <laughs> Bill Senior, of course, denied Dr. Pagnani's assertions. She hadn't been the first to suggest a link between he and the entity, as the Warrens believed Mr. Entity was affecting his behaviour. How could we deny the possibility of a connection between them? Lee convinced herself that any tie between Bill Senior and Mr. Entity was subconscious. Despite Bill Senior's protest, she arranged for him to attend weekly therapy with a local psychiatrist. All while various experts tried their hands at deposing Mr. Entity, it must be understood that while he continued to torment Lee in just about every way he could, though she was generally safe from physical attacks whilst near me, the entity persisted in his usual repertoire of destroying her personal possessions and spewing written insults and threats. There were a few other common strategies. Mr Entity often soaked Lee and Bill Senior's bed with water, inexplicitly from the bottom of the mattress up. We'd have to lug the sodden mattress out so often that we needed a second mattress for Lee and Bill Senior on standby. He would also spirit away photographs of Lee, later use him to illustrate its intentions for her. We'd find photographs of her impaled on knives and placed for us to see, or knives driven into photographs on the wall. Sometimes the entity would use his pictures in other ways to convey his intentions. We once discovered a large vintage photograph of Lee in her youth, laid out in the living room carpet. A hand scythe had been placed directly over it. As Lee endured each attack, Mr Entity would innovate new ways to isolate her. For a time, Lee's doctor appointments would be mysteriously cancelled out of the blue. If questioned, receptionists would say someone had called to cancel it. Then, to embarrass Lee, the entity began hiding one shoe from each pair that she owned, just to make it difficult of the few. That's yeah, a just to, that is a nightmare, though. Yeah, just to make it difficult of the few short ventures she made out of the house. That would drive me insane. Just... Or just replace them, then you've got two left shoes. Yeah. Or taken one sock from every pair. I don't wear pa uh, pairs of socks that often anyway, to be fair. Do mine not. are all odds. Fair. No one sees they them anyway. See, like, the washing machine seems to suck them up, though. Yeah, mine just seem to vanish into the ether. Yeah. And, of course, Mr Entity's demand for a blood ritual persisted. 
During the years of the haunting, Gary Kent would periodically return to our residence. Gary! Gaza! Always desperate for a place to stay and always without a single better option. These Gaza occasions... just a homeless man. <laughs> He's getting this. These occasions were reprieved for Lee as the entity would channel most of its wrath on Gary instead of her. When I questioned him about this, Mr. Entity wrote that Gary too had lived a past life in France during the 1600s. He was the abbot of the monastery where the original blood ritual had been thwarted. Gary. Of Gary, the entity wrote, he punished my servants. Now he will be punished. Again, I didn't know if these claims were true, but it was clear that Mr. Entity bore greater haunted for Gary than my mother-in-law, even expressing a willingness to use his blood over hers for the ritual. This threat would drive Gary from our home and lies for an extended period. In the later part of 1990, Bill Sr.'s personality underwent a startling transformation. He became quiet, withdrawn, almost reclusive. He was absent at dinners and shed much of his weight. He wasn't slender, but there was a hollowness about him, like he was empty on the inside. But most troubling was Bill Sr.'s strange new tendency to leer at Lee. Whenever Bill Jr. and I were out of the house, he would creep into the master bedroom. Where Lee felt safest when alone, he would sit on the very ledge of their bed, mumbling to himself. His head would turn mechanically towards Lee and he'd stare at her until Bill Jr. and I returned home. Fearful of this menacing behaviour, Lee soon refused to allow Bill Sr. back into the master bedroom. Rather than move to the downstairs guest room, Bill Sr. returned to the abandoned bedroom upstairs to sleep and would continue to do so. A few nights later, a wild cry pierced the air. It came from the upstairs bedroom. Bill Sr. was howling like a wolf. His nose was in the air when I burst into the room to wake him up. Completely unaware, he awoke in a daze, then rolled over into instant sleep. Bewildered, I asked Mr. Entity if he was responsible for Bill Sr.'s deranged behaviour. No, um, probably. One mind to my body, he wrote. Oh, so that's like a long-winded way of saying he's possessed him. Yeah. Our situation with Bill Sr. added an extra level of urgency to our situation. It was like Providence when we found the business card of Mr. Steve Blake at a New Age bookstore, which touted him as a ritual magician and exorcist. He sounded like the very person we needed. In determining whether he could aid us, he required photographs and hair samples from each of us. Too desperate to be discerning, we complied. Did Some... you... Sorry. Sorry, you I was make a joke about people buying hair of Phoebe. He's yeah, one of the. He's one of the. He's one of these people. He just wanted the hair samples. <laughs> he's gonna clone you. <laughs> Sometime later, Mister Blake called to inform us that Bill Senior was possessed. He formally offered his services, and we immediately accepted. A few days after the call, Mister Blake arrived at our home with two of his friends, who would make sure that no one entered with the. Ri- sorry, who would make sure that no one interfered with the ritual. My family and I were instructed to wait together in the family room while Mr. Blake conducted the exorcism in the master bedroom. The house fell silent and a strange new feeling of isolation crept over the family room. Our eyes were fixed to Bill Senior rocking in his chair. I hadn't shared with him any of the information Mr. Blake had provided. As far as Bill Senior was aware, Mr. Blake was just another so-called expert come to fail against Mr. Entity. But none of us anticipated the effect of Mr. Blake's ritual. Bill Senior's chair halted mid-rock, his body spasmed and jerked, and then he went very still and stared at the wall. Bill Junior stood ready to restrain his father. I slipped away from the room and into the hall. I told one of the men that Bill Senior was becoming agitated. 
I could hear Mr. Blake chanting in the bedroom, vibrating words in an unfamiliar language. A fierce howl swallowed up the chants. Back in the family room, my husband had his father pinned by the wrist. Bill Senior threw his head back, unleashing the start of another howl, but the cry dried in his throat. He fell back against his rocker, slack, lifeless. After a moment, Bill Senior lifted his head. There was only white when his eyes first opened, then his pupils rolled down. His blank gaze floated from face to face, as though he had just woken up from a nap. Mr Blake's ritual was complete. He emerged from the master bedroom and met me in the foyer. He explained that he had exercised the entity that was affecting Bill Senior, but there was another, much more powerful presence in our home, a presence he wasn't confident he could remove. This was yet another devastating outcome for us. No matter what he said, we weren't yet convinced that Mr Blake had actually expelled anything from our home. Not until Bill Senior started to berate us for wasting money on another phony. It might have been premature of us to declare that Mr Blake had succeeded, but it appeared that he had claimed the very first victory in our struggle against Mr Entity. We tried to contact him again later on, but our calls failed to go through. Whether made in or out of the house, I couldn't find his business card at the bookstore where Bill Jr and I first learned about him, nor at any others. As far as Rancho Cockamonga was informed, Mr Blake didn't seem to exist. I forgot about Rancho Cockamonga. <laughs> Though Lee still clung to the hope that Bill Senior's connection was subconscious, I witnessed firsthand this wasn't the case. One afternoon, sometime after the exorcism, I heard someone repeatedly entering and leaving the bathroom. I glanced out from the master bedroom and saw Bill Senior slinking down the hall and towards the kitchen. Once he was out of earshot, I peered into the bathroom... Blotchy streaks of smudged soap were swiped across the mirror. A wet washcloth hung on the lip of the sink. All signs pointed to the obvious. I asked Mr Entity if Bill Senior had been talking to him. The Entity's response was, This little prick wants me to kill Lee. He cannot command me. As callous and cold as Bill Senior was, this was a level of cruelty I didn't think he was capable of, and I couldn't understand why he would want Lee dead. Neither could I comprehend why Mr Entity would expose Bill Senior if their goals aligned. It was difficult for me to fully dismiss the entity's disclosures as lies. I knew that Bill Senior had been removing evidence of communication from the mirror. I believe Bill Senior's true motive became apparent after I told Lee about her husband's apparent collusion. She too had observed him acting covertly. The day before, Bill Senior failed to show for breakfast, but she heard him moving around upstairs. From the steps, she peeked into the bedroom. Bill Senior had retrieved a box of her old bank statements from the closet and had spread them out over the bed. Lee didn't know what he had planned on doing with these documents. His name wasn't on her primary bank account. She had inherited her wealth from her parents, and he had no right to it. Money was my father-in-law's only love in life. He would have held the reins in his marriage, but it was Lee who held the purse strings. Divorce would split their assets, but only Lee's death would ensure that Bill Senior inherited everything that they shared, and potentially grant access to her untouchable personal account. I'm starting to see a... um something in this story a motive that may not be paranormal i urged lee to get rid of bill senior she was never going to be safe with him around and she would never be free from the entity but she didn't want to believe that her husband sought to use the entity against her she wasn't ready to eventually to lee that he wasn't responsible for mr entity in any way bill senior agreed to see a local psychiatric specialist for intensive therapy he wanted to prove once and for all that there were no latent lies between he and the entity. During one of his therapy sessions, Bill Senior revealed Mr Entity's existence to the doctor. Bill Senior must have forgotten. 
But in 1990, most people didn't casually speak of the paranormal. The doctor's eyes must have been like, here we go. (laughs) Never mind invisible ailments and conversations. His therapist misconstructed his heavy-handed account as psychosis and detained Bill Sr. for a 40-hour observation period at the mental health centre. Bill Sr. wasn't affronted by this misunderstanding. Instead, asserting that he had had our interest in mind, he willingly submitted to a full two-week psychological evaluation. During this period, the frequency of Mr. Entity's activity waned. It was impossible to disregard, and the only difference in our home was the absence of Bill Sr. Bill Sr. soon passed his evaluation and was cleared to be released. We went to pick him up from the mental health centre. Lee went into the building alone to retrieve him. Moments later, she stormed out of the building and jumped back into the van. Quivering with outrage, Lee told us that Bill Sr. had been waiting in a room for her. He told her that the doctors wanted to speak with her, that with treatment, the entity might go away. Lee realised that Bill Sr. had convinced his doctor that Mr. Entity was a fabrication and that she was somehow behind all the paranormal activity. She started to leave, but the doctor arrived. He asked her not to go, pledging that he only wanted to try to help her. His assurances only made her move faster. Moments later, Bill strolled out of the building, allegedly climbed into the van like nothing was amiss. He said to Lee, You're embarrassing, you know that. I thought you wanted to get rid of the entity. They fought all the drive home. Unable to deny the extremity of his betrayal, Lee had finally had enough. As we pulled into our driveway, she suddenly declaimed, You're not stepping one foot in my house. Take your suitcase and trunk and leave. I don't give a damn where you go. Just go. Suppressing his fury, Bill Sr. agreed, but assured us he'd be back. Two few months into my father's absence, we finally began to realise that he had been a purely negative presence in our lives. We no longer had to worry about his unpredictable behaviour, his attempts at collusion with the entity or his general maliciousness. A lightness graced our house, which further worked against Mr Entity's diminishing influence. For the next two years, we would continue to seek out paranormal investigators and occultists as we entered into a strange cohabitation with the entity. Bill Jr and Lee still stowed away the master bedroom, even though the entity's overbearing presence had receded. Though Mr Entity still damaged our house and verbally attacked Lee, these incidents dwindled in frequency. Instead, Mr Entity's interest in communication gradually supplanted his desire to torment my mother-in-law. He proved eager to flaunt his vast wealth of knowledge, past, present, future. There was little the Entity seemed ignorant of, and conversing with him ensured that energy he did have was consumed. Mr Entity also apported more objects into our home than ever before. He said, sorry, many, he said, were gifts, from pendulums, rocks and bells to photographs of strangers and other odd tokens. I hope he's bringing in soap. <laughs> Their soap bill must be huge yeah. at this point. Finally, I asked, why are you bringing me these things? His answer was supernaturally uncomplicated. I want you to have them. Mr Entity has always seemed to f- treat me with a level of respect and often complied when I told him to refrain from certain activities. I never pushed him too far in fear of reprisal, which, no doubt, would have taken the form of new torments for Lee. Did Mr Entity genuinely respect me, or was it a ploy? What would have been the point? Whatever ulterior motive the Entity may have had, I couldn't begin to fathom it. Sometime in 1992, we received a familiar plea. Gary Kent was once again in need. Gaza! His life was in shambles. (laughs) A string misfortunes had cost him his last job and left him nearly destitute. We were his last resort. As always, we welcomed him into our home. Mr Entity poured his limited energy into the singular goal of harassing him at every turn. 
The usual barrage of destroying Gary's wardrobe and pummeling him with insults now included efforts to deprive him of what few luxuries he could afford. Though Mr Entity lacked his former consistency, he was no less dangerous. One morning, Gary came running out of the guest room with a shotgun in his hands. Dumb with panic, he managed to tell us that Mr Entity had laid it under his pillow. The gun had been loaded. It was a startling reminder that any peace we found was imagined. As long as the entity remained with us, my family would never truly be safe. One evening, when he and I were the only ones in the family room, Gary informed me that he would soon be leaving us again to move to England for a job prospect. But there was something he needed to do before then. He intended to ask Mr Entity to leave with him. It was a dangerous bid. He thought the entity had the power to turn his life around. The fact that Mr Entity despised Gary was somehow immaterial to his belief. I questioned Gary, wanting him to think hard about the chaos he risked inviting upon himself. Gary, as he put it, had no prospects to look to, no hope for a better life and no future. The entity was his one and only bid for change. Gary went into the bathroom and spoke aloud. He said that he intended to leave for England and wanted the entity to join him. They could become one. The entity didn't write a response to Gary's offer. After an extended silence on the entity's part, Gary implored me to ask why, which I did the following night. The entity wrote in reply, I will not work with an inferior being. I will defeat him if I must. You told us why you hated Gary as he was long ago, but why do you hate him as he is now, I asked. The next message read, no integrity, no homage, no character, no substance, no word. I will not stop him in his pursuit. Oh, poor Gary. (laughs) Mr. Entity's condemnations were baffling. Why would he, a supposed demon, be concerned with these qualities? All I knew, he was persuading the entity would be difficult and I wasn't so sure I wanted to assist Gary in his gambit. But they wanted to get rid of him, so ship him off over here. I mean, rather he didn't come to this country. (laughs) (laughs) Would would he need to get a plane ticket? Probably need a bloody visa, thanks to Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting next to an empty seat in the plane going, that's Mr. Entity. (laughs) I recalled then, well... Sorry. I recalled then what Paglini had told us years ago, that Mr Entity couldn't be ousted while one of us gave him permission to remain. If true, well, Bill Senior was gone, and there was no one to abide the Entity. The chains he had cast over us could be broken, but did we have the power? Did I? Now, October 1992, it had been over six years since Mr Entity had invaded our lives, and that was why, at long last, after weathering the isolation, the strife, the all-consuming doubt, the nightmare had to end. I didn't know what to say to the entity exactly or if any effort of mine would work, but I had to try. Dad's gone and he's not coming back, I said to the mirror, letting the words come to me. There's no one to keep you here, no one to feed you the hatred you crave. It's time for you to leave, Mr Entity. The entity's reply was written in small compact letters. Please let me stay here. It was a disarming response, as though the entity was seeking permission. There was a meekness to his plea, and something was pitiful in its presentation, but I couldn't be swayed. Over the remainder of the month, Gary finalised arrangements to leave the country. Mr Entity was exceedingly quiet during this period. No writing, no noises, no reports. His presence continued to suffocate the upstairs with thick, stagnant air, seeing that the entity was contemplating his next move. By by Gary's final night at our residence, we still hadn't received a definite response from Mr Entity. He once again pleaded with me to broach the subject. Mr Entity had anticipated it. A message on the mirror read, I want to stay here. Why don't you go with Gary, I asked. Not stable enough. An empty vessel, the Entity wrote on the mirror. I reaffirmed to the Entity that he was not allowed to remain with us. If nothing else, Gary at least desired his company. 
The entity seemed to need longer than usual to reply. After a few minutes, his decision appeared at the top of the mirror. Gary is me. I am him. When I called Gary in to read the announcement, he was beyond ecstatic. He was positive his life was finally going to turn around. But whether it would be for the better would be dictated by Mr. Entity's disposition. Oh, he finally downgraded. He goes, oh, I'd go with Gary right, then. If I've got to go with Gaza <laughs> to the UK, fine. Gary departed our home the next morning. He gave us the bare minimum time to shake hands and wave him off. Without a second glance or the barest hint of regret, he marched to the airport shuttle at the end of our driveway and climbed in. It carried him out of our lives and for what could have been the final time. Bill Jr. and Lee thought it was too soon to make assumptions, and rightfully so. Our existences had been dominated for so long that this sudden resolution was an anti-climax. Out of curiosity, I peeked into the bathroom and glanced at the mirror. Mr. Entity had left a parting message. Oh. Goodbye, my family. Oh, I like Mr. Entity now. Got a little he soft was sweet. For him, yeah. Days tugged into weeks, then months. We were wary to lower our shields, but every day that passed without paranormal activity strengthened our hope that Mr. Entity was truly gone. After an entire year without symbols carved into the house or writing on the mirror, we could at last accept that Mr. Entity was no longer bound to us. But yet we had still been changed by our experiences. Lee and Bill Jr. didn't feel safe on their own yet, and I was still ever vigilant in watching over them. We had the freedom of the entire house, and yet the master bedroom still served as our haven. It would take time, but one day we'd move forward. In an effort to leave the past behind, the three of us promised to never openly speak of Mr. Entity again. As for Bill Senior, he and Lee divorced in 1994, and that was the last we heard from him directly. Fuck Bill Senior. Yeah, you know. Fuck him. Fuck Bill Senior. That's a highly strange podcast announcement. Fuck Bill Senior. I keep distant touch with Gary for, for a time. Sorry, I kept distant touch with Gary for a time. Shortly after his final departure, he told me that the tail triangle had been carved into the door of his new apartment. Soon after, he denied that Mr. Entity was still with him and refused to say any more. So is this Gary? Yeah. Okay. I haven't heard from him in many years. It's been almost 30 years since the final day of Mr. Entity's reign. Leo and Bill Jr. have both passed away, leaving me as the last of our family to recall those trying years of clarity. I often wonder who Mr. Entity was and ponder his true connection to my family. I may never learn. Still, it's my sincere hope that someone out there will discover the answers they seek in our experiences. And I still hope that someone out there may just have a few answers for me. There's someone in England at the moment with Mr. Entity. There could well be. Yeah. It's a shame we don't know what part of England yeah. Gary went to. And also if Gary's still knocking about. Because obviously she lost contact, so he might still be walking about. Gary came over yeah. and now he's devastated because Mr. Entity left him. Yeah, I mean, if not, he's devastated by the cost of living crisis yeah. right now. So <laughs> something's getting him down. <laughs> that was epic. Is what a story. Intense story, isn't it? Jeez. Got any thoughts? It was very interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I weren't expecting the ending. I weren't expecting him to fly over to England <laughs> for presumably a sequel. I hope so. I really hope somewhere down the line we'll, like, hear... Of a different thing. Another because obviously thing. I'd like to think that Gary would still be calling him Mr. Entity. Yeah. As that's kind of what he known, knew him as as well. So you never know. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely very intense. Um, It's kind of bizarre how towards the end it feels like he never actually wanted to do anything bad. And actually his efforts 
although they were like you know mostly aimed at Lee, almost felt like protective yeah. by stopping once she'd got rid of Bill. So almost as if she was like you know trying to, he was rather trying to like shake Lee to be like, you know, get rid of this guy. He's causing you all this negative energy. By the end, I was liking the the ghost that was throwing knives and hating Bill. Yeah. You know what? I weren't expecting that. The goodbye, my family, is actually quite It's sweet, really sad. It? Yeah. I've been crying ever since you said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That is the Moffat family haunting. If you didn't find that account quite detailed enough, there, I believe there's a documentary... And their family have also written two books yep. that are directly, I believe, like Debbie Moffat is the author. Yeah. Can't quite remember the name of both the titles, but. Um, One of them was A Deadly Haunting. There you go. You can find that on Amazon. I, if you Google Debbie Moffat, which yep. is M O F F I T, then all of the accounts I think that she has. It's double T. Oh, is it? Sorry. M O F F I T T. Um, you can find all of the accounts of everything that she's written. I believe she also has an Instagram account. Has an Instagram account with some more pictures as well. We'll include some pictures with this as well. Yeah. So there's loads of information on it out there. Um, what we've covered is the bones of it, you know? Yeah. So, this was just the outline. Yeah. What an epic story. There's lots more. Go and find her Instagram and give her some support. Yeah. Give Debbie some love. Yes. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was a really oh, yes. cool story. Thank you to Jessica. Yeah, for thank you for reaching out. We sending that to us. Thoroughly enjoyed covering it. I don't feel like we have any answers. No, we don't claim to be paranormal. I think she sent it to us because we're English. <laughs> She's open with encountering Mister Entity. I'm afraid we haven't. <coughs> Not to my knowledge. No, you never know. No, maybe we have. I haven't encountered Gary either. No, <laughs> he's probably living in a park somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gary. But yes, thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed. Who do you want to recommend part two to? Part um, two to. Part two to. Um, oh, I fucking forgot. I had a really good one earlier as well when you said it. Yeah, recommend it to um, to anyone you know named Gary. Your local Gary and your local homeless guy. If you recommend it to Gary, he might listen to this and be like, oh, Christ, that was the story. Yeah. I I knew Mr. Entity. He flew with yeah, me. Yeah, and then you can get in touch with us and then we can do part three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Gary-ing. The Gary-ing. The return of Gary. Yeah. Gary strikes back. All I think about is the snail in SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, yeah, called Gary. Yeah. <laughs> think of Gary Rhodes for some reason. <laughs> That's my first thought. Fair enough. Says quite a lot about you, actually. <laughs> Love a celebrity chef. Well, hope you enjoyed as much as we did. You can find us on Instagram, Highly Strange Pods. Oh, you can email us, um, highlystrangepod at gmail.com. Any more epic stories, send them in, please. Yeah, really we're enjoyed always this. up for covering. Keep trying to get us to a thousand and then we will let you guys pick. Yeah, I said we'd be well over a thousand a few not. weeks ago and we're still not, so we're very egg close. on my face. Very close, but not quite. Potato on my head. <laughs> Have a lovely week and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.